All right, let's pray. Father, help me by your Holy Spirit. We're here because we believe in you. We want to serve you. We want to know you. We want to love you better. And your word is what you've given us. And the devil can twist it and distort it and blow us up on it. And uh, But your spirit uses it to lead us to life. So we need you, Lord. Uh, tear down lies, we believe, because we've all got them. And uh said, if you are uh, abide in my word, then you're really my disciple. You'll know the truth and truth will make you free. So lead us into truth today. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Two approaches to being a good person. Who in here wants to be a good person? Okay, if you didn't raise your hand, what are you doing here? Seriously, why don't you just go, go somewhere else? Uh, <laughs> no, stick around. Maybe by the end you'll want to be a good person. What does it mean to be a good person? Um, it's about being free of sin. The stuff that you're sucked into and you like it for just a minute. The Bible calls it the passing pleasure of sin. But then it brings all kinds of chaos and mayhem into your life. A little bit like uh, a drug addiction, you know? Why do people do drugs? Because they get a little passing pleasure and then everything falls apart. They lose their job. They lose their relationships. They lose their kids. They lose their reputation. They lose their health, you know, like faces of meth. And they go from being some healthy, happy, but it's that buzz. And it's the same thing with sin. And after a while, you're like, I hate this. Why do I keep doing it? How do I get away from this? How do I get away from this? So there's something deep inside of us, especially if you're born again, that really wants to be a good person. Um, but uh, even if you're born again, you keep sinning. Like, what's up with that? So um, there's two approaches that we tend to take as Christians. And so we're just going to kind of, one of them works, one of them doesn't. One of them almost killed me. So I can tell you it doesn't work. And the other one is what I do now, and it's a lot more fun. And I think the answer for how to do this properly, the main section in Scripture, I think, is Romans 6 through 8, which I really encourage every serious disciple of Jesus um, to really become familiar with Romans 1 through 8, the, the chapters 1 through 8. That is the bedrock theological statement on what it means to be a Christian, not just how to get in, but how to live it out in the entire Bible. There's a lot of other supplemental stuff, but that section is so, so vital. So I'm going to be dipping a lot into that section, Romans 6 through 8. Uh, I was thinking, we're talking about legalism a lot, and that's one of the approaches. And it's ironic that I'm telling you you should really memorize Romans 6 through 8 so you can be free from legalism. And then some of you are going, oh, do I have to memorize that? You know, and it's just this crazy irony. we got to get all this sorted out in our head. Yeah, you need to know it so you can be free from that attitude of having to do anything. Wouldn't it be nice not to feel like you have to do anything? And that's really that's really where God wants us to be. We don't have to do anything so we get to we're allowed to like john says we joyfully agree with the demands the expectation of god in in our inner person actually that's paul said that what does john say oh he said his commandments are not burdensome so yeah sorry mix that up paul says the one in romans 7 all the biblical authors tend to say the same things in different ways 
So how to be a good person. First of all, we want to be free of sin. What is sin? Something that kills. That's what it is. Yeah, it gives you a buzz, but it kills. And uh, a lot of you guys in here, you've memorized James or a lot of James. It's the first book I encourage a new serious disciple of Jesus to press into. What does James say about sin? Jump down to the second one here. Got these out of order. Each one of us is tempted when we're enticed and carried away by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, so you have an idea, you know, you're kind of like your soul's kind of like mouth watering. Like, I want that. I want that. When lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. When sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Don't be deceived about this. Don't kid yourself. Don't fool yourself. It's just a little sin. It's just a little lie, just a little gossip. It's just a little bit of sexual compromise. It's just a little bit. It always kills. That's where it's going. That's where it's headed. So James is like, stop, stop kidding yourself. That's where it's going. Oh, I, I just gossip a little bit. People kill themselves because people gossip. People's reputations are destroyed. People lose jobs. When people lose jobs, people's families fall apart. And oh, it's just it was just a little gossip. No, that, that person, their life was destroyed because it was just a little lie. Every sin, if you track it, if, if, if God does not stop the slide, things are going to die. That's what makes something sinful. And Paul says this also in Romans 6. What benefit were you getting out of the things of which you are now ashamed? What was the benefit you're getting out of those things? Oh, yeah, playa, right? Sexual playa. What was it? What's the benefit? A bunch of kids who hate your guts and a bunch of people, you know, tapping into your uh, paycheck so you can't get ahead and you can't go to school. And so you're going to be sorry, I don't mean to belittle the young guys that are having to do this, but you don't want to be cooking at Chick-fil-A till you're 70 years old or McDonald's or are pushing a broom somewhere. Right. But that's sin. Now, you, you've strewn the world because you were the cool player back when you were what a high school or a college football player, and you could just go out and get any girl, and they're falling at your feet. Now it's just death everywhere, and you probably put a gun in your mouth a few times. You know what? That's what's in the what? What was the benefit? What were you getting out of all that? Nothing. Got the little buzz, just a little buzz, just like the fish gets the little buzz when it bites into that big juicy worm on the end of the hook. It's not so happy when you're frying it up in the evening, right? That's what sin does. It kills, kills, kills. So sin is an action that kills. We want to be free of sin. We're all drawn to sin. It's a problem. We're crazy. Ah, uh, what is law? Pretty easy. Thou shalt not. Sin. <laughs> That's pretty easy. That's what law is. That's what the divine law is. You shall not sin. There's a lot of, uh, for some of you guys that are doing higher level theological studies, there's this ridiculous view that's trying to confuse this and turn everything in the New Testament into a hash. But the law is just, don't do this. Why? Because people are going to die. Well, what's the most famous? The Big Ten. In Exodus 20, which um, except for the command to honor the Sabbath, which which I think was unique to Israel. All of these are repeated in the New Testament when all when the Old Testament law is done away with. Um, because these aren't these aren't principles that you can ever compromise on. These things, if you do them, 
they will always result in deaths. And if you look at the moral codes of other people, um, they're pretty close to the Big Ten. Lying, coveting, stealing, sexual shenanigans, worshiping other gods, et cetera, et cetera, not honoring parents, that type of thing. Um, why does God not want us to do them? Because they kill. So the first approach to being good is I'm bad. I realize God has given laws. I'm going to grip my teeth and I'm going to stop being bad. Because I know I should be good. And I, I even see that being bad hurts people. So I'm going to just try really hard to stop being bad. Anyone ever taken that route? Okay. Even after you're born again, you've received the gospel. Man, I'm really, really bad. Yes, I should go to hell. I should have been on that cross. Jesus died for me. He paid my penalty. He rose from the dead. I'm going to spend eternity with God, but I don't want to be bad. And God's given us laws, so I'm going to try really, really hard to be good. Anyone done that after they were born again? How'd that work out for you? Yeah, horrible. Yeah. So let's see what verse I have. I was once alive apart from the law. The problem is, is the more laws God gives you, the more you realize you're just internally broken and you can't do them. And even when you do them, you don't want to be doing them. So you actually get mad at God. And then the devil tells you God's just trying to take your fun away. But this is what Paul says in Romans 7. Remember I said Romans 6 or 8. So I'm going to be dancing around a little bit between these. When the commandment came, there was like something in me that sprung to life. This commandment, which was to result in life, I mean, it should keep things alive on planet Earth if we stay between the lines, proved to result in death for me because sin in me, taking an opportunity through the commandment, it's almost like there's an alter ego inside of me that once it heard there was something God didn't want me to do, it's like, I want to do it, I want to do it, I want to do it, I want to do it. You know, like, a, yeah, we used to joke around kind of like the Tasmanian devil, you know, in Looney Tunes, like, you know, like this little guy, whatever God tells you not to do, he wants to do it. And so this guy's like, you know, I was just walking down the street and I didn't know I wasn't supposed to covet, which actually means want things that belong to other people. I wasn't even thinking about coveting. And all of a sudden, it's like, did you know God says you're not supposed to covet? And all of a sudden, this monster, and he's like, I want to covet, I want to covet, I want to covet. We're nuts. We're crazy. And Paul said this law, which was supposed to result in life, all it did was expose the fact that I can't do it. So sin taking opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. So it's almost like when we get a law, it's like you're compressing a spring and the spring is pushing back. It would almost be better if, if you didn't even know what it was you weren't supposed to be doing. Kind of like a kid, you know, like a, a little kid. Man, you could go to the nursery right now, and the kids are just doing whatever they want. And if you say, do you guys see that box over there? Yeah, the one, the one on the shelf that no one's been paying any attention to at all because there's way cooler things in the room. But that box, just the one over there. You see that one? Don't look at it. Don't touch it. Just ignore it. The whole, the whole rest of the, the time in the nursery, all the kids would be going, uh -huh. you know, they wouldn't care about anything else in the room. Well, that's kind of like us with the law. All it does is show us that we cannot do it. 
So even after I was born again, I tried to be good this way. And you can be saved and you can be heaven bound, but you're trying on your own effort to keep the law. And it is, let's see what I did here. Law-based goodness is misery. Some of you guys are in this. And you think God's a jerk. Um, you think he's a killjoy. And the devil's happy to feed you all kinds of lies about this. You know, if God really loved me, he'd let me live with my boyfriend or girlfriend before we got married. If God really loved me, he'd let me sleep until noon. And he would, you know, if God really loved me, he'd let me pad my resume so I could get ahead and whatever. Um, you know, that's the devil talking to you. So this is, but uh, a person who's trying to be good by keeping law. I really did this. And, it, and it's what the biggest breakdown of my life was when I was a young man trying to man trying to be righteous through the law. And part of my part of my legalistic righteousness was memorizing a bunch of scripture. But praise the Lord, that kind of brought about the healing because as I'm legalistically trying to outdo everybody and earn God's favor and outperform, I'm internalizing the words of life that are going to eventually kind of destroy this whole misguided approach to seeking God. So thank the Lord for that. But this is Paul describing himself. And, and scholars argue, is this post-conversion? Is this pre-conversion? It doesn't matter. It's anybody who's trying to be good enough, be good through keeping the law. Um, Where should I jump in here? Maybe 18. I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. The willing is present, uh, but the doing of the good is not. The good that I want, I don't do. I practice the very evil I don't want to do. If I'm uh, if I'm doing the very thing I don't want to do, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find the principle that evil is present in me. Truly, like we have split personality disorder. The one who wants to do good. And now this is why I think this guy is born again. He says, I joyfully concur with the law of God and the inner man. There's something in me that desperately wants to please serve and obey God. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my member. Wretched or miserable person. Because again, man is that general anthropos person that I am. Who will set me free? So this approach doesn't work. If you're trying it, you're miserable. And you're probably mad at God and you're frustrated and you become a Pharisee and you become mean and judgmental. One of my sisters-in-law, she calls it my dark years because I'd put all these obligations on myself. And then the other people that weren't trying, I like get in the car and I don't know if, if someone was listening, <laughs> just like turn the radio on, you know, let's. Let's just listen to the Carpenters or something, you know. Don't you remember you told me you love me, baby? You know, whatever. And they just want to put it on and just remember good times as a child. I'm like, Christians don't listen to secular music. Uh, oh, you're a delight. It's so fun to be around you. We just love being around you, you know. And, I, you know, you go to some Christian's house and you look in their fridge. I had a friend, and I'd kind of grown up in this background. I open the fridge and they're from another Christian nomination and they have like a six pack of beer in there. And I'm like, Oh my stars. I thought you were saved. I really thought, I thought you loved Jesus, but um, I was just as miserable and, and I'd have to have a, you know, a talk with them about what real commitment to Christ. I was just all about rules and laws and 
And then eventually it just crushed me. I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't go 56 and a 55 because I thought heaven shut down. It's, my wife said he does now. I saw that. We can talk about that later. I don't go 90 at a 55. I'd be going through Nebraska and there'd be a, there'd be like a trail of cars half a mile behind me because on a 70, they'll do a construction site and those like 45 for like 8,000 miles. I'd be going 45 and I'd have all these trucks and people like flipping me the bird and yelling at me. And I was like, I'm keeping the law. And I hate you all. And you're all going to hell. But I'm not, and but I was so I was it was honestly it was like bamboo shoots jammed up my fingernails while I was doing this. But I knew that keeping all why because Romans thirteen says you're supposed to be in subjection to the governing authorities and rebelling against the governing authorities, rebelling against God. And if they say forty five, you go forty five. And if you don't, heaven shuts down. I mean, the lights go out. Your prayers aren't answered. No fellowship with God. Whatever. And some of you guys wrestle with that, and uh, I, I don't take this lightly because uh, that's just a, so, a different issue. That's just one of many, many laws that I kept miserably. And I was, I was a miserable person, and I couldn't do it. And if I was doing it, I wasn't enjoying it, whether it was the moral laws of God or the laws of man or whatever. But I was just going to outlaw everybody. Let's see here. Where am I? misery okay yeah and the problem is is that we're doing it in our own strength um we do all through the bible we have these two principles uh, kind of at war inside of us and the one is the old us and it is our passions and desires that were given to us by god but they're still attached to the fallen us that has not yet been redeemed and the Bible calls that the flesh or the sarks or the old man. And then the Bible also talks about there's this new internal part of us as well, which is the true us, because this one's going to be redeemed. But the true us is called the spirit, the new man, um, etc. And the Bible is always saying you need to learn to walk in the new man, not in the old man. But what I was doing is I was walking in the strength of the old man because I had no idea to tap into the power of the new man. I didn't know how to. So I just thought the gospel was to get us saved, get your ticket to heaven, and then be good. But I just couldn't do it. Why? Because that old part of us, it says the mind of the flesh. And it's interesting here. Um, those Some of you guys are learning some Greek. I looked it up because mine says the mind set on the flesh. But it actually literally says the mind of the flesh, almost as if you have a, a processing part of you that is connected to that old nature it's hostile towards god that's why it doesn't like laws and it doesn't like submitting to laws there's this old part of you that's still functioning inside of you it it doesn't subject it to the self to the law of god it's not even able to do so because if you don't keep the law of god for the right reason it doesn't even count so me going 45 through nebraska hating everybody behind me and hating the fact that i'm submitting to law that's no good because I have to be have the right motive for the right action. You're like, ah, oh, then everybody's sunk, you know. So I can whatever. 
I can stay away from this and I can tell the truth and I can grit my teeth and I can make me make myself do things. But you're saying I have to like be whistling amazing grace and saying hallelujah while I'm doing all this. It's impossible. Yeah, it is. It's impossible because I have, we're still living by this old principle inside of us. That's hostile towards God. Let's see here. What's the solution? The solution is a funny solution. Interesting. Something you would not expect. So this part of you that the Bible calls the flesh, it is always going to be in rebellion against God. And the thing that invigorates it is the law. It's a beautiful song, wherever it's coming from. Um, the thou shalt not is like gasoline on this old nature that's in you all. All the thou shalt nots I give you are throwing gasoline on it. Don't resent your mother, right? Don't hold bitterness against your roommate. Don't whatever, cheat in your college course, even though everybody else, including the TA, cheats to get through. Don't do it, right? It's it's telling you, and all the thou shalt nots, they're just making it worse and worse and worse and making that Tasmanian devil like bigger and bigger and bigger. So actually what, what Paul says, do you realize that through the cross, he said, why didn't God just like shoot some kind of heavenly arrow through the Tasmanian devil? I, I don't know. We can ask when we get to heaven. What Jesus did was he took away the law. And it doesn't just say this once. It says that when we, uh, uh, when we unite ourselves to Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection, somehow, and this, this gets really tricky, and it's something that's very, the devil's already trying to figure out how he can exploit it in some of your immature Christian minds. Sweet, I can go out and do whatever the heck I want, and I'm covered. Well, Paul also says, <laughs> you're ignorant if you're doing that. You, you, you got to put all the pieces together. But if just think about this. If the law fuels the fire or, or feeds the monster, how do you give that fire or that monster nothing to work with? Don't throw any thou shalt nots at it. Sounds really weird, doesn't it? Therefore, my brethren, you were made to die to the law. Thou shalt, he already told you what the thou shalt not, sorry, took one of the Ten Commandments. And he said, this is what fueled the fire through the body of Christ. So you might be joined to another. Tim was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. While we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. So you could do it, but you'd hate doing it. Or you just give in and you'd fail. This is this is legalistic, law-driven, thou shalt, thou shalt not righteousness. If you're on that track, you're miserable. But now we've been released from the law. This is weird. This is strange. This is, but it's all over the place in the New Testament. Why are we free from the law? Because we're completely, totally, utterly forgiven for everything. So it, it's a little bit like um, 
your rich uncle gives you a, you know, a credit a debit card. And he says, use this thing freely. It's as I mean, freely. He's like, I got more money in this account than a thousand people could spend a lifetime. I mean, just use it. Billions and billions of dollars. So, you know, you get your electric bill psh, taken care of. Beep, you know, you get your rent boop taken care of. You get your auto boop. There, you really there's there's no debt any anyone can throw at you that's going to be a problem because Uncle whoever certainly not Sam. I was going to say Sam, it's not Uncle Sam. Some other uncle he took care of your problem. So it's a, that's what Jesus did. The cross took care of all the obligation you ever had to the law. There's nothing you can do that's going to be held to your charge. So you're free from the law. You don't have to technically do anything. <laughs> My, I, I have a favorite comedian and one of his routines. He says, abandon that whole track. You abandon that whole track. Abandon that whole track. It's useless. You don't have to keep the law and you can't keep the law and you've died to the law. You don't have any obligation to fulfill the law. In uh, Colossians, Paul uses this a different kind of uh, uh, imagery in chapter two. He says he nailed the law to the cross. He took out of like out of the, the whole equation our obligation to all the thou shalt and thou shalt not. And if we just left it there with a bunch of people that didn't really care about being good, then they'd run out and sin, 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 sin. And then they'd, then they'd still die. Because the problem is we want to get away from sin. Because whether you're forgiven of it and you commit it, things still die. Do you want your kids to die? You want your marriage to die? You want your health to die? You want to go insane? Keep sinning. You think you have a free pass? Well, Paul's like, you're a moron. You, we want to get away from sin. But this track, the legal track, doesn't work. <sighs> Die to the law. Aroused by the law. We're released from the law. And there's something he calls the newness of the spirit. So then how are we good then? We don't have an obligation to the thou shalt and the thou shalt nots. It's only going to excite this part of us that is going to be there until the day we die or Christ comes back. Paul talks about this in Romans 8. We groan within ourselves. I want to be good. Oh. We groan within ourselves waiting for our complete redemption. So let's see here. Romans 7. While we were in the flesh, this, I already did that one. Okay. It is, <laughs> why are, what's the new track? What's the way that works? You're invaded by goodness itself. That's the answer. If you're truly born again, and a lot of Christians don't realize this, you have been in, you're like, we talk about the Derekim, compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and faithfulness. And that's who God is. And that's who Christ is. And that's what we're supposed to be. I'm like, but I'm so bad at it. But do you realize that that, that reality in personal form omnipotent personal form has invaded your soul 
it, it's so you can try the old you doing, you know, grit your teeth, try to keep a bunch of laws. I can say, you know what, whenever I do that, it just makes it worse. What I need to do is figure out how to participate with this supernatural force that has invaded my life. And it's, there's so many wonderful things that are said about the Holy Spirit. I love what um, 1 Corinthians 6 does. It says, do you know the way the crazy mystery of marriage how two human beings are made one flesh. He says something akin to that happens in your spirit. Your spirit and God's spirit have been fused together. He's brought you to life. He's inflamed your desire to do good. It's stronger than it ever was before you're saved, but he's also given you all the power you need to do anything that God asks you to do. So Paul, Bible says this a lot of different ways. Christians don't know this. Some people think the Holy Spirit's like still floating out there somewhere in the stratosphere, hovering above the church, and they need to pray to get him in them. It's ridiculous. You can't be saved apart from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit regenerates you, but he also joins himself to you. Um, John talks about it this way. Is anyone thirsty? Thirsty for what? Well, among other things, to be good. Let him come to me and drink. You know, you're not good. Come to me and drink. And then it says from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. What does that mean? It's well, you take in the goodness and then it flows out of you. And he says, thus he spoke of the spirit. You can talk about the spirit as fire, water, all kinds of stuff. But when you're truly born again, that goodness invades you. Now you have to learn about what's happened to you. Learn how to cooperate with it. If you're stinking miserable, trying to serve the Lord. And there's whole denominations and they preach the gospel and then they put the yoke of the law on people's shoulders. Your skirts have to be this long and boys can't have tattoos and certainly not pierced ears. Women with short hair are harlots and, and makeup is Jezebel. And they, they come up with a million laws, just like the Pharisees that aren't in the Bible anywhere. Oh, yes, it is. It's uh, if you study ancient Mesopotamia, uh, and you read this passage and you squint your eyes and you read between the lines. It's right there. It's perfectly clear. No Christmas trees. Certainly no rock and roll music in the church like this crazy chaos you're praying, playing when this all began. Summons demons. We went to Africa. We heard it summoned demons in the, in the tribal groups. I'm saying this stuff because these are literal sermons you will hear. In these, they're preaching the gospel, right? These people going to heaven, but they're miserable. Because they think about being good is all about the all. Let's heap the thou shalt nots on, on our people. So God says, no, 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 no. Let's think about it this way. The Derek King basically describes what love is. And Paul says, hope, our hope in God working in us, through us, getting his process done in our lives. It's not going to disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts. You don't have to try to be like God, like some God's a million miles away. I'm a dirt bag. I'm over here and I'm just going to work and work and work and work. And hopefully it'll be good enough, you know, that he won't incinerate me. No, this God who's over here, he invaded you. He's not over there. He's in you. He's in your soul. The God of all goodness, the God who laid down his life, the God who died for you, the God who gave it all up for you. He's going to teach you how to love others in that same way because he's in you. And I, but if we're not aware of what he's up to, We'll stay on this legalistic thou shalt, thou shalt not track and hate it every minute of it. 
And ultimately, I had a physical breakdown. Because the summer I turned 20, I had a physical breakdown. I go to the hospital and they took a lymph node. Guys, looks like he has AIDS. Looks like he has Hodgkin's. I mean, my body was freaking out. It was because I was trying to outlaw everybody. Yeah, and like Matt said, I was in law school, right? I like that. I thought that was really clever. I was in law school. God's like, no, that's not the way it works. What law does is shows you what an abysmal failure you are apart from an infusion of God into your soul. So he's poured out, his love is in you. How, how do you get that out of you? That's the, that's the trick. How do I get what's in there out? God doesn't have to try to be loving. He is love. And if he's in me and he's fused himself to me, then it should come really easy and naturally for me. So if it's not coming easy and naturally, I'm on the wrong track. This is what the Holy Spirit's all about. The fruit of the Spirit. This is what just flows out of the Holy Spirit who's in you. Love. Not, le not He has joy next. So you're doing the right things, but you're having fun. So if you're doing religion and you're not having fun, you're on the wrong track. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And then he says, there's no law against any of that stuff anywhere in the universe. God's not going to outlaw any of that stuff. But you're not doing it because you're, oh, I got to be patient. Okay, fine. I don't really want to be. But no, you're in tune with God who's invaded your soul. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. We're not even thinking about this legalistic. This is where true born-again Bible-believing Christianity is different than any other religion on planet Earth. And the funny thing is, yeah, I always step on toes. You can get some people who look really good over in these other religions. And sure, I might as well just Go for the biggest uh, example. Mother Teresa. Everybody's like, Christian who does, does good work, look at Mother Teresa. Look at, who can out Mother Teresa, Mother Teresa? Nobody. She's the best. She probably, I mean, she probably did more good works than Jesus himself. You know, I'm just kidding. Nobody would say that. But it's just like, she's, she's a perfect human being. Did she have joy and peace? Uh-uh. Go read her own writings. Why? Catholics are trying to earn the favor of God still, even though, well, the problem is I've never met one who knows the Bible. I'm not trying to be mean. I've met a lot of Catholics. I'm like, and I talk to them like, you don't know the Bible. The one that Ty debated with, uh, he's becoming kind of a superstar in the apologetics world. I took him out to lunch. I was like, dude, you don't know the Bible. You don't know the Bible. So anyway, the biblical Christianity, this is the track, the freedom and joy, whatever. Mother Teresa, she... For 50 years, had no peace, no sense of the presence of God. She walked in darkness. That's her own testimony. Then you read a born-again person who understands this invasion of the Holy Spirit in the soul. We're not doing good to earn anything because we're free from the law. Someone, and, I, and I always think that Amy Carmichael is the born-again people's, you know, Mother Teresa. That woman is a dynamo, and she's out rescuing the, the, you know, the girls in India, and, and her ministry is still going today. Started in the 1800s and it's still rocking and rolling. But she's so full of joy and peace. Same actions. But one is 
on this track of trying to earn and it's a heavy yoke and the other is just being what you are learning what you are so that you can express and and somebody said if you summed up all of paul's epistles all of his instructions could be kind of boiled down to this be what you are christians be what you are you are the love of god you are compassion you are kindness that's why the bible calls them saint you are saints oh no i'm humble i'm going to be humble no you're you're calling god a liar you're not being humble you're being very arrogant when you say i'm not a saint when you say the love of god is not in me you're actually the devil is tricking you into thinking you're being arrogant i mean being humble and you're being arrogant because you're telling god he's a liar the love of god hasn't been poured into my out into my soul i've not been you know made one with god in the same way that a husband and wife are mysteriously made one flesh you're, you're, te- you're telling God that all the things that weren't aren't true. Paul says, thus were some of you. Thus were some of you. Can you still fall? No, you will fall. But you're not in the law. You're not in the law. And in a community like this, we'll pick you up and say, what did you do that for? I don't know. So stupid. It only brings pain and suffering and death. I don't know why I keep falling in this. Help me set up boundaries and accountability so I don't do it again. I don't enjoy it. When I'm done, I don't have peace and joy. But what I am finding is that when I flow with the Holy Spirit, I get higher than a kite, man. So there's a way to do this that's really fun. And it's kind of like riding a bike. When you, you know, one day you discover there's something called a bicycle. You know, maybe someone had come from another country. They've never ridden a bicycle. We go to City Park, you know, they're watching people ride bikes, trick ride, ride wheelies, do all this stuff. They get on it. They can't go, you know, 10 feet. Boom. But it's the same with this. You've been trying the legalistic thing. You hear there's this way to do it. You know, maybe you'll do it for a little bit and then you'll shift over here for a month, a year, you know, five years. And then God will slap you, you know, not really, but metaphorically. What are you doing? Why are you doing that old burdensome way? And you're like, oh, yeah, hopefully not. If you're in a good church, people keep reminding you, stop it. Stop keeping laws. The goodness is in you. So, how do we do this? First of all, you got to realize you're dead to the laws. You, you don't. You're not becoming righteous because of thou shalt and thou shalt nots. Now, if you keep those in your misery, you won't be killing people, right? If you tell the truth, you won't be. People won't be dying externally. You'll be dying on the inside. Um, yeah, if you sexually chaste and moral, you won't be spawning. You know, illegitimate. They're not illegitimate. They're very legitimate. That's just bad word choice but kids without fathers and and having abortions and sexually transmitted you know avoid a lot of death but there's a better way to (laughs) that's a better way to do it Uh, do the actions that don't kill and that's learn to walk in the spirit the law of the spirit of life in christ jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death we don't have to do the thou shalt thou shalt not grit our teeth and do it because there is no law over us anymore because it's been satisfied completed in christ what the law could not do weak as it was through the flesh through that fallen part of us even after we're saved god did sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin he condemned sin in the flesh so he took care of this law track that kills us so the requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us so we don't have any obligation who don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. 
So what we want to do is figure out how do I cooperate with the power that is in me. You're not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if the spirit of God dwells in you. This is all Romans 8. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, so stay on this track, you're miserable, you can't stop, things die, and even when you can keep the law, you're just, again, like someone in a torture chamber. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is alive because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and he does if you're born again. If you're not born again, you're hopelessly bound to the law. And you can go try to be a Buddhist legalist or a Hindu legalist or a corrupted version of Christianity legalist. And I'm even uh, you can even be a legalist after you get born again. But the only way you can truly experience freedom is to truly be born again and receive the spirit of God and the goodness of God and the love of God in your soul. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So now you're going to be doing life-giving things with joy. But you got to believe this. Some Christian might be here like, ah, that all sounds great. I just don't believe it. He says, I'm a saint. I don't believe it. Well, you're disagreeing with scripture. Well, I can't help you there. The scriptures will set you free. If you're going to say, I don't believe the Bible, well, you're stuck. Because, I mean, Jesus, that's the way he showed us to do spiritual warfare. Is that book hard to translate at some points? And are there things that you want to understand for 20 years? Of course. It's God wrote it in such a way that he can stay hidden from the rebels. He can, he can frustrate people. People blow up on it. Jesus even said things that people blow up on. You know, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it. What are you talking about? You know, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll, you have no part of me. What are you talking about? You're crazy. And we look back with, oh, I wouldn't have been deceived or, or confused. Yes, you would have. Just like you're confused with the stuff in the Bible that you're confused with right now. But if you just keep hanging in there, God's given us his word so that we can sort all this stuff out. But you have to believe it. You believe you're free from the law? Ooh, that's scary. Because if I don't live my life with the thou shalt nots, man, I'm going to go crazy. And some silly young believers do. And then we have to have a talk and say, you didn't follow the reasoning all the way through. You remember where we started? We're trying to stay away from sin. That's the goal. So if you're free from this, it's not so you can go kill more people and yourself. It's so that you can actually find a track that works. Some people don't believe the goodness of God has actually moved into their soul. You got to believe all this. If you don't believe it, it's not going to work. That's a starting point. That's why we do intensive discipleship. There's going to be people who go to heaven and their lives were utterly, totally miserable, including missionaries and pastors and seminary professors who even know the words of the Bible, but they didn't learn the truths of the Bible like this. And this is a huge one. How do I become a good person? By tapping into that life force in me. Galatians 5, walk by the Spirit. You won't carry out the desires of the flesh. The flesh sets this desire against the Spirit, Spirit against the flesh. These are, in, these are at war. These are in, this battle is in all of us who, who are born again. But if we learn how to believe what God's done in our soul, increasingly we're going to have victory. We're going to do good things just because we're good. And we're going to love it. And it's going to be fun. And we're going to have, we're not going to get burnt out or dried out because we're going to experience the life of God coursing through us like living water 
pretty much every day of the week. Not consistently. I've never met anybody that's constantly going off like old faithful all the time. But I mean, situations where you do a supernatural act of love, motivated by love itself, is pretty darn fun. Euphoric. And that's how you know you're that's how you know you're figuring it out. Some of us are a blend. We're like, we'll try the law and I hate this, you know, and then sometimes we'll hit the but the goal is learn how to ride the bike, the tap into that power in you. What does that one say? Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. We're done with that track. It doesn't work. They've crucified it. I'm dead to that. The law is not the way I'm going to be pleasing to God or anybody else. Uh, crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. I, I don't have any obligation to keep the law to be righteous. Because Jesus fulfilled the law. He set me free from the law. So I'm going to push in and figure out how do I come to understand who the Holy Spirit is and what he's doing and how to cooperate with him. And it's by faith. I believe he's in there. I believe the life of God is in me. I believe he's driving my desires. And I believe that if I step out in faith, heaven, well, the Bible says in Ephesians, the power that raised Jesus from the dead is going to manifest in this situation. That's why Paul prays for Christians. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so that you'd know the surpassing greatness of his power towards you in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead, which is a long sentence that simply means the power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. You can do anything God asks you to do with power to spare. Now, this is where my new insight into Romans 8, which is super cool, and for you guys who think, you can master the text of scripture or some portion of scripture. You could you could probably, I don't know, you could ever get to the bottom of a single verse of scripture. So I've known Romans 8 since 1992, no, 90, 1990. Yeah, that's a long time. I've known, I'm, that's the summer I memorized the book of Romans. I, I was hit with something. What's another strategy? Uh, the same way the spirit helps our weakness. Oh, man, so many traditions have cherry-picked their way through these sections of Scripture without any reference for the context. The whole context of Romans 6 through 8 is, how do we become good people? The ultimate good people is, person is Jesus, of course. That's the goal. How do we become? Well, first of all, you got to be free from the law. Then you got to understand that goodness has invaded you. But uh, this section says you also need to be praying regularly. So if you don't have a time of prayer... You're not going to be getting clarity on any of this. If you're too busy to pray, the demons are high-fiving because you have to have significant time where you can wrestle through this stuff, figure this stuff out, have the Holy Spirit help you get clarity on this. So, but in this whole process, the Spirit helps our weakness because we still are going to be pulled to do evil things and sinful things, and they're still going to look attractive. Well, how do we stay on the Spirit track? We don't know how to pray as we should. The Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And this has been so abused that I'm afraid some people won't even be able to hear what I'm saying here. What is the Spirit groaning about in this passage? The broader Romans 8 passage is talking about how all of creation is working to one end. The whole thing was subjected to futility. God let us go nuts. And all these fires break out and all the pain and suffering and evil and all the curses. 
God let all this happen. And there's one objective that he had. That was to make sons and daughters who look like Jesus. That's the whole context of Romans 8. So, and it says, the spirit is groaning within us. And he, the spirit who searches the heart, uh, uh, that, uh, actually the father who searches the heart knows what the spirit is doing because the spirit is interceding for us with groan, uh, according to the will of God. I'm speaking too fast and I'm getting confusing. So God knows what the spirit is. Why, what's this groaning that's going on in you? It's these new desires that God has given you to be like Christ. And the groaning that's going on inside of you is in accordance with the Father's will. So God knows what the Spirit's doing and why you're groaning. We know that God causes all things, what all things? Everything in creation that's birthing his children to work together. Uh, God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God, those who are on track with the program. Understand why I created the universe. Uh, called according to his purpose. What's his purpose? You're like Jesus. He tells you down here. What's the purpose? Those he foreknew. That's us. He, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. The whole operation about us being conformed to his son. The groaning that the spirit gives us in our, in our spirit, in our times of prayer, is God help me to be good. God, help me to be like Jesus. God, help me to get all this straightened out so I'm not killing people. I'm not doing sinful actions, and I understand that it's not about law. Let me figure out how who your Holy Spirit is. How does he work through me? How does faith, uh, faith unleash this power in my life? Open the eyes of my heart so I can see all this stuff. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing inside of you during your times of prayer. And you can pray for a lot of other things, but in this context... What he's talking about is the spirit groaning. And it also talks about us groaning because we want to be good. We want to be like Christ. It says we're waiting for our redemption, like our complete redemption, our freedom from the sinful part of us. So we're groaning, the spirit's groaning, but he's helping us in our times of prayer so that we're learning how to surrender to this God of love who has invaded us. And again, I'm running out of time and this is <laughs> such an awesome point this morning i'm like well of course he's talking about the spirit helping us to pray through all the stuff paul's just been talking about because the big struggle and the reason we're here is to become like christ that's what he said what's his purpose to be conformed to the image so what's the spirit doing he's praying according to the will of god what's the will of god it's that we become good that we get off this track that we stop exciting this indwelling sin that we reckon it dead so that we can be the light of God, the goodness of God to the world. So, the law isn't the substance, the thou shalt nots of righteousness. It only points to the greater reality. The reality is taking up permanent residence in you if you're born again. If you're not, yeah, you're sunk. You're just trying to be good and you can't do it. And you know you can't. The harder you try, the worse you realize you'll never get there. But the reality is, if you're born again, it's in you. All you, all you have to worry about is love, because God is love, and that's what's invaded you. That's what it says. The love of God poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And then Paul says this. If you want to look at the law of the Big Ten, interesting thing is that a person who's cooperating with the Holy Spirit says, Oh, nothing to anyone except to love. He who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the whole law. So every requirement 
anyone could ever come up with that's righteous and right. The person who's loving people, you know, you're not going to be killing anybody. <laughs> you're not going to be taking advantage of anyone sexually. You're not going to be stealing from anyone. You're not going to be lying about, you know, you, you're not going to be coveting, you know. If I love Joe and he gets a new car, I'm not going to be like, man, I wish Joe were dead and I could have that. Because like, what are you, nuts? I'm going to be high five and I'm like, praise the Lord. That's amazing. Because I love him. So if we're letting love drive us because we understand we've been one, made one with God's spirit. This is the great liberating reality. But we have to daily be taking that time with God so we don't lose our heads in the muddle of the world and bad religion. And we're focusing on these kind of spiritual principles and we're standing in faith on these truths. And uh, this is a sermon for another day, but I think the the um, paradigm, and I think biblical authors like Hebrews, um, the paradigm of this struggle that we have in this time of prayer where the Spirit's groaning in us, urging us to make the right decision, and God's strengthening us to follow through is actually what we see in Gethsemane with Jesus. We see the pull from the old side and the sinful side and then we see the pull to do what God's asking us to do, even when it's hard. The writer of Hebrews says, you've never shed blood in your struggle against sin. So yeah, it's hard. But in your prayer time, God, why is it better to forgive this person than to not forgive? God, why is it better to tell the truth in this situation when everybody else in my class is going to lie? And we wrestle with this every day. And like Jesus, um, we realize that self-sacrificing love will require a decision. And it's hard. And we wrestle. But I think this is really where this passage kind of kind of reach, reaches a crescendo. We learn how to hammer all these things out, live all these things out in our time of prayer. How do I get off this flesh track, off this legal track, off this? How do I overcome my sinful? How do I tap in to the power of the Holy Spirit that's already in me? How do I raise Jesus from the dead? How do I how do I embrace the fact that I'm not a wicked, horrible sinner that happens to be going to heaven? I am the righteousness of God in Christ. How do I believe that? How do I believe I'm really a saint? How do I get there? And I think Paul's saying, wrestle it out, people. Wrestle it out. Go before God. Wrestle it out. Pray with each other. Pray for each other. The Holy Spirit is in you. He's rooting for you. He's pushing you. He's groaning to get you to that place. We didn't have time to go into a lot of Romans 8. The Romans 8 ends with, I think, a human being who is broken through to the other side. It's like, and again, you're, you are at that point when you understand that the love of God is driving you forward and nothing can stop it. Not tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness. Nobody's opposition can stop it. No trial, no struggle. Everything that's going on, God causes all things to work together for the good. What's the good? Making you like Christ. Once you come to that point where you realize that's what's going on and you're wrestling it out with God every day, Paul gets to the end. And this is, I think, again, it's a high note in the entire Bible. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Nothing can. And he has, he's like, I've won. I've won. And this is what... None of us sees it perfectly, but you can certainly see it more and more clearly. There's millions of Christians that aren't seeing it at all. They're still on this miserable legal track. The love of God has invaded you if you're born again. If you're not born again, get in. The water's great.
You know, I know, I know how horrible it is being a legalist, but we also have to learn these principles and then we got to pray it through and we got to be honest. You know, I, I know some of you in here, you're still wrestling with this legalism thing. You know, like just say, I need prayer, man. I need God. I need, I need that living water to bust out of me like old faithful. I don't know how to do it, man. I need to believe I'm a saint. I need to figure this faith thing out. But this is one of the most wonderful keys as a born-again believer that you will ever discover. It's more useful than being able to cast out demons, although that's wonderful. More useful than being able to lay hands on the sick and heal them, you know, because there's people that can do that stuff and they never figure this out. And Jesus says, I never knew you because ultimately God created you to be like his son, to be a manifestation of self-giving love. He has invaded you. Now you need to get with the program. So, all right. Ah, a little bit over. Sorry about that. Maybe not. Maybe it was useful going over time. But I'm going to say a prayer and then, uh, yeah, I'll, we'll, we'll dismiss and we'll do our normal stuff. And then those of you who need prayer, just come up and let's let's figure this out. So, Father, we come before in Jesus' name. Lord, none of us are worthy. None of us are worthy to have your Holy Spirit take up residence in us. But we don't have sin on us because it's been taken out of the way. It doesn't matter what who, who's performed the best. That's irrelevant. What Jesus did, he took the law out of the way. He paid the, the penalty for all sin for all time. So there's no requirements left. And so we can abandon that track. And I just pray, Lord, your Holy Spirit would flow out of us. And we learn to enjoy him, enjoy his presence. Be the people we're longing to be because it's natural for us when we walk in the spirit and we live in faith. So help us to understand these principles, challenge us, change us. And we pray, Lord God, that when people meet us, they meet supernatural self-giving love. Your word says, as he is, so also are we in the world. Let, let people meet Jesus through us because we understand these truths. We love you. We thank you for your word. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.